the largest library in the world is the United States Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. It employs over 3,500 people to care for its over 35 million books, which are housed on about 1,500 kilometres of shelf space. They're just numbers. Imagine a bookshelf continuously running all the way from Brisbane down through us here in Dubbo, down to Melbourne, crammed full with books. That's the United States Library of Congress. That's a lot of reading. And yet despite all of that, in the New Testament, in John's biography of Jesus, John says that even all the books in the Library of Congress could not adequately describe how exceptional Jesus Christ is. This is how John puts it in the very last sentence of his gospel. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Jesus is clearly an exceptional person. And John ought to know, John spent three years of his life with Jesus. He got to see the way Jesus reacted to so many different people. He would have heard hours and hours of teaching from Jesus. He got to see Jesus do amazing things like calming storms and healing sick people. And John's conclusion, even the whole world doesn't have enough room for the books that would need to be written to fully describe Jesus Christ. Which actually puts us in a bit of a tricky situation this morning because this morning's topic is, who is Jesus? There is no way we are going to adequately answer that question this morning. Jesus is just too spectacular for that. If the world can't hold enough books, then a short Bible talk by me on a Sunday morning is never going to do him justice. What we can do, though, I'm not setting you up for a really long talk, what we can do, though, is at least make a start. That's what I want to have a go at doing this morning. I just want to make enough of a start on who Jesus is so as to convince you, if you need convincing, that Jesus is the sort of person who deserves your full attention. And I think a really good place to start is the passage that we just heard read from John's Gospel, where we get to listen in on a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he was crucified. And because it's the night before he is to be crucified, and because Jesus knows that his time is short, Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples know certain key things about him. And in particular, he wants them to know that in his words... I am the way and the truth and the life. Who is Jesus? Well, a really good starting point, according to Jesus himself, is that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Let's consider each of those three things briefly in turn. Firstly, the one where Jesus says he is the way. And by that he means he's the way to God. You can tell that that's what he's getting at because of the way the conversation has been flowing. Remember how it started in the reading. The way it starts is with Jesus saying to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust in me. Now just in passing, he's comforting his disciples there because it's the night before his crucifixion, as I mentioned a few moments ago. Within 24 hours, Jesus will be dead. And so in the previous chapter, Jesus has told his disciples that he's about to be betrayed, he's about to be deserted, he's about to leave them. 
You'd actually be thinking Jesus is the one who needs to be comforted, but such is his love that he is comforting his disciples, telling them not to be troubled, telling them to trust him, because the reason he is leaving them is so as to prepare a place with God for them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going there to prepare a place. That's a really interesting phrase. And what makes it especially interesting is that what Jesus is getting at here is that it's in his actual going that he will be making the preparation. Let me illustrate what I mean. Sometimes when a family moves here to Dubbo, maybe this is what's happened for your family, uh, sometimes one of the parents comes early, either the husband or the wife, and they prepare things in advance for the rest of the family to arrive. So one of them might come across a few weeks early, they start the job, uh, they line up a house, they sort out schools for the kids, and then the rest of the family arrives and it's been all prepared ahead of time for them. That's not what Jesus is actually talking about here. He's not talking about, I'm going to God and after I get there, I'll get the place ready for you. You know, I'll do a bit of dusting and knock the cobwebs off the place. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm going to God and it's during my actual journey to God that I'm going to be making a preparation for you to go as well. It's in my actual going, it's in my actual trip that all the preparations will be made. It's almost like a mum coming to Dubbo ahead of the family but driving a bulldozer so as to actually physically make the road for the others to travel on and towing a mobile home behind her for the others to live in. It's the very manner of which she is travelling here that is making the preparation. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And I'm labouring the point because he's talking about his death on the cross. That's how he's going to leave them to go to God by dying on a cross the very next day. And that's how he's making his preparation for them. See, the bottom line is we all deserve to die. We actually all deserve to die because none of us give God the attention he deserves. We get up each day, we go through the motions, we go through each day, and we act as if God's not there. And because of that dismissive attitude that we're all pretty guilty of towards God, we all deserve to be punished. But when Jesus died on the cross, he took that punishment in the place of his followers. Jesus substituted himself for his followers. He paid our penalty for us. He gave his life for us. And as such, by going to God through dying on a cross, Jesus was preparing a place for his followers to also be with God. The very journey that Jesus took to God was the way he prepared a place for us. Or in Jesus' words, I am the way. Not, I'll show you the way. He didn't say, I'm going to give you some directions about the way. I am the way. Jesus himself is the pathway. His death on the cross is the way to God. And please notice that little word, the. He's not talking about a way to God. He's not talking about you know, one of a few possible options to get to God. He's talking about the one and only way to God. That's a very provocative thing to say. 
Who is Jesus? Well, according to Jesus himself, he's the one and only pathway to the God who made you. Buddhism will not lead you to God. Hinduism will not lead you to God. Islam will not lead you to God. Aboriginal dream time will not lead you to God. Are you even allowed to say that sort of stuff? Jesus is saying it. That's what he's saying here. And just in case you think he's not saying it, just in case you think, wow, that's way too arrogant a thing for gentle Jesus, meek and mild to have ever said, in case you're wondering whether, well, maybe we're mishearing him here, he says it again. He uses different words, but just to make sure we've got it straight, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, this is a breathtaking assertion by Jesus. I am the exclusive way to God. You are not going to get anywhere near God unless it's through me. Who does this guy think he is? Clearly he thinks he's the way. And if that's not enough, his claims get even bigger with the next three words. I am the way and the truth. Now, just like he said he's the way in the sense that he's the way to God, here Jesus is saying he's the truth in the sense that he reveals the truth about God. That's why at the very end of the reading, in the very next verse, Jesus says to his disciples, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. See what Jesus is getting at there? Knowing Jesus is as good as knowing God himself. If you really know me, then you can know my father. Because Jesus' teachings tell us the truth about God. Jesus' behaviour shows us the truth about God. Now, this is actually what we thought about last Sunday when AB considered the question of who is God and how Jesus takes the guesswork out of who God is. Because, as he's saying here, he offers us the truth about God. And notice again that little three-letter word, the truth. He's not saying he's a truth about God, he's, he's the truth. He's the objective, factual, whether you like it or not, doesn't actually change it, truth about God. Uh, before, before Christmas, I noticed that the British Intelligence Agency published a puzzle online for people to have a go at during their Christmas holidays. They put it up as a challenge uh, to anyone who reckoned that they could outsmart the smartest spies in British intelligence. Lots of people thought they could because their website actually crashed because of so many people copying online and have a go at it. I think it's still up if you want to jump online and have a go. As far as I can tell, no one has solved the puzzle yet. Due in part because there is only one solution to the puzzle. It's not a relative solution, it's an absolute solution. You don't get to decide the solution, you can't change the solution. There's not one solution for you and one solution for me. There is just the one solution for all of us. It's the solution, it is unchanging, it is fixed, and you either get it right or you get it wrong. And Jesus is saying it's exactly the same with God. God is not relative, he is absolute. There's not one God for you and one God for me. There is only one God and one truth about him, unchanging, fixed, and you're either right about him or you're wrong about him. And Jesus is saying he's the one who's right about him. He is the truth. So if you want to know for sure if there even is a God, 
You need to check out what Jesus says about that topic. And if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what makes God angry, if you want to know what makes God uh, happy, well, you need to check out what Jesus says about that topic. He is the truth in all matters pertaining to God. It, it, it is, again, a breathtakingly massive thing to say about yourself. And it only gets bigger with the final three words. I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, at one level, this is a curious thing to say, is it not? Because really, there's life all around us. Uh, look out the window, there's life in, in vegetation. I'm alive. Looking around the room, most of you seem to be alive. I was actually a bit worried a while ago. Some of you had your eyes closed. Uh, you've got them open now, that's good. So you are alive after all. So in what sense can Jesus be the life? Well, it's because he's talking about, just like the other two things, the way to God, the truth about God, he's talking about life with God. He's talking about eternal life. And this is where all the other two things fit together and make complete sense. Because logically, if he is the only way to God, and if he is the only one who reveals the truth about God, then obviously you're only going to be able to have life with God through Jesus. Every other way besides Jesus is going to be a blind alley. Every other way is going to lead to a God who is not true. Every other way is not going to be the way. It's going to be It's just like the children earlier, trying to find a prize without the right map. Evidently, the Australian Open is starting this week, the tennis in, in Melbourne. Imagine trying to get to Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne using a map of Sydney. Well, that's no help. That's not going to cut it. That's what it's like trying to get to eternal life without Jesus, according to Jesus. Being religious, trying to live a good life, following any other religion you want to pick, no matter how pious or reverently you have a go at it, nothing will lead you to eternal life because in Jesus' own words, he is the way to God, he is the truth about God, and therefore only he can lead us to life with God. If you've ever seen any of the Terminator movies uh, or the TV shows that spin off the movies, you'll know that one of the often repeated lines is not only I'll be back, but also one of the other lines is come with me if you want to live. Uh, it's a line that gets repeated 11 times across the franchise. And so, for example, in the second Terminator movie, and if you've not seen it, let me explain it to you, Arnold Schwarzenegger is rescuing a girl called Sarah Connor from a prison hospital, and Big Arnie bursts out of an elevator, totally pulverises a couple of the prison guards, and then he turns to Sarah Connor, reaches out his hand and says, come with me if you want to live. It's a great line in a dramatic rescue albeit in a movie. But it's effectively what's happening in this morning's Bible passage, in real life, in history. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. He's about to die on the cross so as to pave the way for the only possible way for us to be rescued from punishment with God and to be restored to God. And Jesus turns to his bewildered disciples and he says... Don't be troubled. Trust in me. I am the way to God. I am the truth about God. I can give you life with God. 
Come with me if you want to live. These are bold words. These are the sort of words that immediately uh, lift Jesus into a category all his own, don't you think? I mean, we're playing big league with these words from Jesus. All eternity is at stake with these words from Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus himself says he is the only way we've got to God. He provides us with the only truth about God and he is the only one who can give us eternal life with God. So where does that leave us? Well, at the very least, hopefully you're starting to get a feel for why John would say the whole world wouldn't have enough room for the number of books that could adequately explain Jesus. He's an extraordinary person. We, We are just scratching the surface this morning. So let me offer you a couple of next steps. Firstly, If you have never honestly investigated or considered Jesus before, you owe it to yourself as a thinking adult to give Jesus the attention he deserves. You cannot afford to be wrong about Jesus given these sorts of claims. And so, as Dave has already mentioned, starting this Wednesday, we're going to be running a short course investigating Jesus here in our building. It's going to start at 7.30 and I'll be here to have plenty of opportunity for you to ask questions and talk about Jesus. It'll go for about an hour. Uh, There'll be plenty of opportunity to to contribute and discuss, but you you, you don't have to. You won't be asked to read. You won't be asked to say something if you don't want to. You can just come along, sit in and listen. And if you're not the sort of person who likes coming to some those sorts of things on your own, if you're here with a friend or you know someone, bring them along. I'm sure your friend will be willing to come along with them. But if you've not done it before, seriously, if you've not engaged your brains about Jesus before, come along and investigate further who Jesus is. He will not disappoint you. It will not be a waste of your time. But... There may be some of you here this morning who are actually way past that stage. Some of you may have already investigated Jesus. Maybe you've been kicking around churches, maybe even all your life, but enough to know that you're convinced that Jesus really is the way, the truth and the life. And even listening this morning has confirmed to you that you actually want to do something definitive about Jesus in your life. Well, this morning's passage actually tells us what to do. It was the very first sentence where Jesus said, trust in God, trust also in me. See, that's the right response to Jesus. That's the right response to someone who says they're the way, the truth and the life. You trust them. You rely on their teaching to tell you the truth about God. You rely on his death to pave the way for having life with God. And if you've never honestly made that commitment before... I'm going to finish this morning by praying a prayer, uh, giving you the opportunity to make that commitment. I'm just going to say a simple prayer, declaring a trust in Jesus, saying that you do rely on him as your way to God. And if you've not done that before, but it's a reflection of where you're at now, why don't you say it along with me, just in the quietness of your own mind. I'll pray each sort of sentence at a time and give a bit of a break so you can say it in your mind if you'd like to. But if you've never done it before, but you are convicted of who Jesus is, pray along with me. Let's let's do that. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to decisively declare to you now that I trust you. 
and I trust Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is the way. Thank you that he died on the cross to prepare a place for me with you. I don't deserve that, but I gratefully accept it. Thank you that Jesus is the truth. Thank you that Jesus reveals the truth about who you really are. I don't deserve that, but I gratefully accept it. Thank you that Jesus is the life. Thank you that he is the way for me to receive eternal life. I don't deserve that, but I gratefully accept it. And Father, having now declared my trust in you, help me to live it out in my life. Amen. Now, friends, if that actually was the first time you prayed a prayer like that and made that commitment, uh, that's a really exciting thing to have done. I think it is a great idea to tell someone about it. Uh, If you're here with a friend or you know someone else, share the excitement with them. If you don't know who to talk to, uh, chat to me after the next song or or Dave or Wayne. Uh, We'd all love to share that excitement. But that's a big decision to have made and to have come to. I reckon it's great to share it with someone.